The Arts Explanatory Comma Podcast, where art meets the real world and both sides get a better understanding of the whole picture. This podcast may contain strong language and listener discretion is advised. A ceramicist whose work spans and straddles the world of fine art and commerce in the way that many of us artists battle the thought of doing the same to make sure we eat. Abby Preston, the proprietor of Box Barrel Studios, is a maker of things that make dining time spent with family more beautiful than just memories created. A visual guru who probably wouldn't call himself an artist, but definitely approaches his work with the same intentionality that in, and I say this in air quotes, artist uh <laughs> would chap edmondson went from musical producer and rapper to clothing designer graphic artist and filmmaker who is currently helping artists and companies alike with his arm branding agency they are not necessarily what people think about when we speak of artists but they are both uh creators with a balance of depth of knowledge expertise and desires and hopes and dreams that create works of art that people find enough value in to pay for. Sounds like art to me. First off, welcome. Um, and our first question to you is, what were your first encounters with art? What are the things that gave you the spark to create the things that got you to where you are now? <clears throat> I'm going to just say this um, in the intro. Yeah. What was the first part of mine? You said rapper turned rapper. producer? No, rapper and producer. Oh, yeah. We don't talk about that. But that's cool. No, but it's cool. We talked about it. <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's right. out there. Yeah. People know. Joe has video. Damn. I can post that on Instagram. Nah, it's awesome. like, <laughs> Joe, Joe's already done that shit. Like, he's already posted it on Instagram. It's like a birthday or something. Yeah, birthday. Like, I think I, I saw clips of it. Murder. I've seen the photos. Yo, listen. The bars were great. The stage presence, though. like My stage presence was... It was okay, bro. In the video, I saw Joe's six of y'all standing up there in a row, and each one of y'all grabbed the mic and like walk. <laughs> but it wasn't no bops, wasn't nothing. Like the most, I think somebody was up there like this, just rocking side to side. Like that's the it. The stage was so small; it was very small. That if you rock too hard, and if you walk, you <laughs> fail. <laughs> that stage like, was small. That stage was small. What's worse? <laughs> This is true. Um, Being a rapper who falls off stage. Yeah. Um, you want to field that question first? Your first um, encounter with art? Sure. Your earliest memory of it? That's hard. I don't exactly remember my very first encounter. I feel like my parents are both really creative. And so ever since I was young, it's just been a part of our life and who we are. And... I do have a really distinct memory from being in elementary school and... Um, my art teacher really liked a piece that I created and entered it into, I don't know, one of those little shows that your school does. And then yeah. we made it, it was like a, a big deal because it went to, I don't know, like City Hall or something. And there was like a little show there. Mm -hmm. And I still have that very first piece. My mom kept it. And I think that that was like a very like distinguishing moment of just like oh like I can do this I'm creative and just like the people in my life always been yeah. like encouraging that my parents I mean we always had like stacks of coloring books and puzzles and um like we always had like my dad always was taking like videos and my mom was 
taking pictures. And so I think it just was kind of a part of our upbringing. And so I don't really remember a time where we weren't creating in some sense. Okay. Yeah, mine was likewise. I think um, my brother was kind of the artist in the family. Um, but I do remember being in elementary school, like drawing and like looking at everybody else's stuff and being like, mine looks better than that, though. <laughs> like, having like a self-awareness of like, I think I'm okay at this. And then the same kind of thing, like finding affirmation later in life of like creating something for um, like Go Rodeo here. Yeah. And like it like, like winning. And I was like, oh man, I'm kind of good at this. Yeah. But I think I've always teetered that line because I was always good at like math and all the like logistical stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to try to find a balance between the two of them. And so for myself, I think that um, I've always leaned more towards what I felt was the logistical side of my brain and less yeah. of the creative side, but not knowing that they're kind of intertwined in a way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it was always like, oh, well, you're really good at this. You should be an engineer because you have a brain that can figure things out. So yeah. for so long, I fought the artistic side of myself until I think I was in college and I was just like, mm, I don't want to do this no more. <laughs> I, I need to do something else. Right. And so, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my earliest memory was kind of um, like being in elementary school, like drawing, um, and then like just watching my brother kind of in, like him drawing and playing the piano and those kind of things and me just wanting to do that because he did it. Yeah. Yeah, so, I never had like the whole like good at math or science. <laughs> I leaned pretty hard into the creative All or nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this don't work yeah. out. Yeah. It was just like, this is the only way. Yeah. That That's me. I tell yeah. my students all the time, like, hey, that's why I teach art. Don't ask me to help you with your algebra. You will fail. Like, <laughs> you will fail. I'm not doing that. X. <laughs> Always. I was really good at geometry. That that was my only one. <laughs> shapes. I'm about to know what? Shapes. Yeah. That yeah. was my thing. Because, yeah. well, with geometry, you can just figure shit out. Yeah. Right? Like, you got this bit of information. It made sense. It I need like this. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 I can figure this out. Yeah. But then I always failed because I never showed my work. Mm. So they thought that I was cheating. It's fine. It's fine. You can feel that way. So, Abby, I will ask you this because I, 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 I feel like you do think of yourself as an artist. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and I'll ask you also, chat. But I have a previous a question that 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 precedes that. Um, but uh, when did you know that you were an artist? Mm -hmm. I think. So again, I think I always knew that I was an artist in a, like create in a creative in a sense of just like making things. Mm -hmm. But I actually don't think it was until college that I actually claimed the title artist. And actually that was a lot of encouragement by my sister. Mm -hmm. um, my first year of college, well, back up to like senior year in high school, I took like AP art and that was always my thing. I was always in art classes and I created this portfolio to get college credit for mm -hmm. art and I had gotten the credit. But then when I went to school my freshman year, I had this fear just like overwhelm me of like, what am I doing? I can't do art for a career. Like I'm not claiming <laughs> art as my major. <clears throat> so the first whole semester, I just kind of was like taking different classes. I did like sociology and for a minute I was like, oh, that's what I'll do. But still just wasn't aligning. And I remember having this um, conversation with my sister on the push. Like, what are you doing? Like, why? Like, why are you? Like, you're going to do art. Like, that's what you're going to do. Yeah. You should like you love it. It's what you are just like meant to do. And I was like, 
had this moment. I was like, yeah, yeah. And so I remember, like, getting off the phone and, like, marching down to the art department and declaring, like, this is my major. This is what I want to do. And um, I think my fear was just, like, oh, I've done art before, but can I hold up in, like, the collegiate level of, like, comparing my – I was just, like, comparing myself yeah. with others and the wall, like, the artwork that I'd seen on the walls in the hallway and just feeling fearful. But once I got into my first drawing class, I did really well. And I it just lit this, like, excitement in me and this um, confidence of, like, I am an artist. I can do this and find value in that. And so I think at that moment that was, like, okay, I am an artist and being able to say that with confidence. Okay. So – Chap, my preceding question for you is, do you think of yourself as an artist? Um, not always, no. Why? I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I really don't. I, I mean, in some veins, yes. In some yeah. veins, yes. But I think um depends on in what realm. Like, I think so many times I'm creating works for other people, which are essentially just commissions. Mm-hmm. But it just feels more corporate than yeah than like fine art or like just art in general. So yeah. at times, no, I don't feel like I'm an artist. I mean, I don't know if there's a difference between a creative, but sometimes it, I've gotten used to calling myself a creative. Yeah. Um, but I don't always feel like an artist. Like I always feel really, I don't know, kind of out of it when she's like, yeah, my husband's an artist. I'm like, I'm not an artist. Like, I, that's not <laughs> it drives me crazy because they'll just be like marketing and branding. And I'm like, you are so much more than marketing and branding. Like, I agree. You are creative in so many ways. And but in other realms, like when I, when I do enter the world of film, then I yeah. am more of an artist, even yeah. though like I like to wear the producer hat. Um, I still feel like more of an artist in that world than in like branding and, you know. Yeah. So. I mean, not always no. I think and kind of calling back to what I said in the intro, which is true. And for listeners, Chap and I have a history. We worked together for seven years on Chaplon clothing. Um, and so I have been able to see him bounce between these different things, just as he's as he's been able to see me bounce between several different things also. And I think while you do think of things and you create in an analytical way the fact that the matter is you're still creating, right? Yeah, no. And you're creating with intentionality mm-hmm. as much as I think that word is so fucking rote, but <laughs> it's like pop. <laughs> yes. It Make pop. it pop. <laughs> but no, you create with, with a very intentional mind, right? Like even when we were doing videos for Chaplon, mm-hmm. right? Like the music that you picked, Right. The the filters that you use in After Effects and all this different stuff like mm-hmm. you thought about these things. You thought about how those visuals went together, the message that they would um, convey. Yeah. So I think and it's just me speaking about this. So I think that you bring that artistry into all of the things that you do. Right. So even when you're creating a logo or other branding materials for people, mm-hmm. you think about what it is that they do, how they do it, what the message is that they yeah. want to convey. Yeah, right. Definitely. So it's. Same process, right? Essentially, yeah. I, I, it just, I don't know. It just feels weird like, carrying a title <laughs> around. Like yeah. it, it may be because, like, so many times it's loaded with like questions behind it. Yeah, and like I, I move in silence so much that I just, I don't like to. Yeah, if they're like, "Oh, you're an artist. Oh, what do you like?" I hate the follow up, like yeah. the small talk that goes along with it. 
Yeah. So sometimes it's easier. My brain just turn it off. Like, no, I, this is what I do. Cool. Let's not ask any more questions. But those some the, some of those follow up questions are amazing, and I'm sure Abby that you've heard them before. Like, so what do you do for money? Like, that's my favorite. Yeah, that is my favorite. And I think the difference too for like Chapin, what he's saying is like personality. I think a lot too yeah. is like I'm. I feel like, I mean, no one really loves small talk, but there's like, you know tolerance levels for that and for yeah, a chap absolutely. not to speak for you but i just feel like you're not a small talk oh, I, person and so I fucking loathe it for me like part <laughs> of like what i do is like when you go to sell your work or you are mm-hmm. encountering other people it's like there's like a yeah. certain level of like okay this is gonna happen mm-hmm. i have the answers i know the questions you're gonna ask and so but with that i think it's like good education as well as far as it comes to like educating others on you know artists who do this full time and like saying oh yeah this is possible this is how mm-hmm. i do it and i think it's good to educate people on that a lot of people have questions around like what you can do that and yeah that's so. me and the dumb art questions <laughs> on the podcast no i think it's good i think those questions are good because so many other people will have them as well so okay yeah no very true i dig that um so let me ask both of you of all of the titles that you guys hold right because we haven't talked about it yet, but Abby also paints and draws from time to I don't know how often you do it Not now. Not as much but. as I would like. Yeah, I <laughs> but feel yeah. like it falls between the cracks sometimes. But yeah. yeah. So of all of the titles that both of you hold, like which are your favorite? Oh, mine is definitely <laughs> filmmaker. Like I think the the medium of film is something that's really special to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like the idea of like, so in order, I would say filmmaker, designer, and then producer. Mm-hmm. Um, I love like the art of film and I love creating uh, bodies of work and something that I really wanted to challenge myself to do a lot more in 2019. Yeah. Um, and then designing is something that I absolutely love to do. Like not even in the sense of like branding design, like mm-hmm. more in the sense of like what I did when I was creating my own brand where I yeah. had like the freedom of expression to really push the limits and boundaries and think past what is the social norm at the time and like Mm -hmm. really think outside the box. I love that. And then producing in the sense of um, like just creating dope shit, whether it's my own or other people's like helping people's ideas come to fruition is really cool to me. And I love those, uh, those moments when that's, when it happens. Yeah. I think that's a hard question because in my head I'm like bouncing between (laughs) what people I think would associate my title with and what I prefer. I think, I'm known as a ceramicist right now, and I love that title. I do because I still think it's open-ended. It doesn't always mean just, like, functional pieces. Um, But I also really love the title Just Artist because it feels a little bit more expansive. And then I I think I shared this with you, but Mm -hmm. one of my favorite artists, Theaster Gates, calls himself an object maker. And that's what I really want to lean more into of just Mm -hmm. like the unrestricted creating of objects. And Mm -hmm. so that encompasses so much more than just clay or functional work. And so I maybe that's my hope for 2019 is to push more into that. But I think right now I'm just really comfortable with the title artist. Okay. So I guess kind of a follow up to that in as far as the title of artists, what kind of things do you hope to or how do you hope to differentiate what you're doing now um, moving forward? Yeah, 
I'm hoping to push more into non-functional and more non-objective work. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I would say that. Um, just exploring more into my medium, incorporating other mediums. So whether it's um, wood or concrete or just raw dirt, mm-hmm. I think, because I've been really inspired by the work of Margaret Boozer lately. Mm-hmm. And so I think that what she's doing, she still calls herself a ceramicist, I think, in some in some ways, but she's doing a lot of other really great installation work, really large, and okay. that has been really inspiring to me lately. So I think just like still working with it, Clay, but still expanding beyond like, oh, this is a bowl or a mug. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love what I do, but trying to push more into gallery shows rather than yeah. markets too. Okay. Okay. I did. But did I you just enjoy listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, could you explain the difference when you mentioned gallery and market? Yeah. How does that, or what, I guess, what's the distinction between the two in your artwork? So, markets tend to be um, like a couple like a day to two day shows where you bring like all your goods with you and you sell face-to-face, which I really love because you get to meet a lot of your clients and have really good interactions. And then gallery shows, I don't know. I feel like we've talked about this before. Yeah. There's like this fine line between what people consider craft and fine art. And mm-hmm. that's always this big discussion. And I feel like sometimes I'm like on this, like teetering this line of like what I do is considered craft because it's, when you think of craft, you think of fiber, like wood, uh, clay in that realm and then some people don't consider that fine art they think fine art more uh, painting drawing sculpture and so I'm always like teetering between I grew up or not grew up but I in college I was in this fine art world um, and learning about that and then after college I'm more leaned into what people would say craft with clay and so I think for me, showing in gallery shows would be a way to push my work in a new direction rather than just like, I don't know, it feels, I don't know if this is right. And I don't yeah. necessarily consider it grassroots when it comes to like markets, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's a way to push to a different type of level, okay. not a better one, but just a different type of level of um, accessing a new audience, okay. I think. And, yeah. and I've heard you say before how important it is for you to use your voice in a way through your art. And so I know that you struggle sometimes in creating functional work. How do you use your artistic voice to talk to social issues or things that you're passionate about in creating like functional work and like the idea of creating more sculptural or like installation gives you that freedom and ability to be able to really like speak to those things that are important to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yes, I do think that, having more of a language for that yeah yeah just trying to find more um ways to express ideas and thoughts rather than just creating a bowl on the wheel which i find is important too just in a different way Mm -hmm. um and i always struggle with that between like oh i'm just making functional work and then oh i really love to use my thoughts and words in a new way and expressing a new like way of creating art. Yeah. 
So the dumb art question is, when you say functional work, yeah. those are your artwork that is meant to be used? Yes, yeah, okay. like every day. So the pieces I'm making now, so like mugs and bowls and vases, things for your home, yeah. um, for garden, like planters, things like that, okay. I consider more functional. You can use every day as opposed to something sculptural. That's displayed. That's displayed. Yeah. You'd be able to encounter in a different way. Which is so stupid because like a bud vase, you like displaying it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, so, like... But you're using it, too. Yeah. It's so stupid. It makes I mean, no damn sense. I think sometimes, too, a lot of it is in my head. It's just the battle that I, like, go back yeah. and forth, and I think about it, and, yeah. Because I'm like, what's the point? Like, why am I doing this? Like, what's the point? And there's so... Like, I feel like art is such a great platform in order to be able to express thought. And I know we've talked... Yeah. Mark and I have talked about this a lot, too, and... Uh, like a recent conversation someone's like well just the idea of like making a piece is like opposing mass production in of itself i'm like oh yes i love that <laughs> that's so true yeah um but i think sometimes there's things that i feel really passionate about and mm -hmm. i'm like how else can i express because there's so many issues right now that i'm like oh man these are important things to talk about and to take a stand on and so how do i do that through functional pottery i don't know and so trying to find that bridge between the gap is something I chap and I know I go back to like all yeah. the time but I also think that that teetering that you're doing between you know whether it is actual fine art or whether it's functional um as I said when we we're having that conversation about craft right like my own ignorance is like craft is popsicle sticks and macaroni and <laughs> shit that kids do elementary in elementary school. school. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what that is. Yeah. People that have glitter and Maj Podge and Lenicia scoffs at me when I say that. She uses Maj Podge. I was going to say, but, what's wrong with Maj Podge? <laughs> <laughs> nothing's oh, wrong with it. Ahead of yourself now. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just saying. But yeah, Elmer's glue and all that, right? Like, that's my ignorance in that. But I don't when think I, I would ever consider um, your the pottery that you make mm -hmm. craft. I don't. I mean, I used to have yeah. very well in this art world lingo, lingo but yeah. well, <laughs> I don't think I would ever consider handmade. I, I think it's, I feel like some aspects is changing too, mm -hmm. the way people are perceiving it, even with like um, gallery shows now, mm -hmm. the more I see ceramics being accepted into what you would think of like, oh, it's a fine art gallery. Mm -hmm. And so that's really inspiring because... I feel like people are being more open-minded the way they're curating spaces. Yeah. So that gives me hope to be like, well, maybe it's not a this or a that, but it's an and, and it's both. And yeah. so finding, and, and I have been able to show my work in fine art galleries before, and that is always encouraging. Um, but I think for me, sometimes the lack of it is just like doing more and being able to say more. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, and then too, in the midst of that, if someone were to be like, Hey, you have this solo gallery show, what would you say? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to say. Like <laughs> thinking about my yeah. words and really what I'm passionate about and, 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 and telling my story and not telling someone else's story. I think that's something I'm still working through too. Yeah. I think the, the distinction is in the, like most of that is in the art world, right? Where you have to figure out, well, people have to figure out a way to look down their nose at certain things, right? So calling it craft is saying that it's something else. This shit doesn't belong where we are. It's not It's not as thought about. It's not as thought through as what we do. When the truth of the matter is, like, we, I think we've all seen experimental art, 
right and conceptual art and been like yo what the fuck is that it's so much about the process so Mm -hmm. like this like idea of becoming a master of the craft and being able to because i think in so much of craft there's like this tedious process that you can't really stray too far from in a sense because you okay so for working with clay there's you know you make the piece you let it dry for several days to a week you fire it in kiln. you then um take it out you glaze it you glaze fire so there's like certain steps within these craft Mm -hmm. um making of craft that you for the most part and generally speaking you don't stray too far from same with like glass blowing or um, working with fiber or wood um and so i think that has something to do with the like category categorization of craft as well yeah and it almost devalues it i think that's a big part of it but Mm -hmm. i think in finding value because when we first started dating like i didn't find value in handmade pottery i remember looking at her stuff like why is this 45 (laughs) dollars like i can get this at target for 12 right but understanding how hard it is to make yeah and that each piece is different because it's all Mm -hmm. handmade like makes a huge difference yeah i mean but that's no different than i remember when i was 17 18 and i went to a gallery show at the MFAH, and it was a Basquiat showing. I looked at it like, what is this shit? Like, I can do this. <laughs> but I just didn't find value in it because I didn't yeah. know any different, right? So yeah. I think that that is a huge part of it is, like, people try to devalue um, certain types as, oh, this is just craft because yeah. they just don't understand what it takes to make it um, sometimes. Yeah. And I think that goes back to the whole, like, education, mm-hmm. educating people on um what it takes to make it and that goes for all like whether you categorize it as fine art or craft or whatever it is as an artist our responsibility is to educate the general Mm -hmm. public on process and (laughs) making noises (laughs) (laughs) so loud um just general public education is huge i think yeah I mean, just edit that out. She would say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that same, but that same teetering also happens in filmmaking mm-hmm. when you talk about a movie versus a film, right? Like, well, yeah, I in, mean, versus like, so. Versus an art film, like that categorization and. Right, yeah. Like and then there's another step down where you go like to commercial work as well, yeah. right? So uh, there's, there's sometimes you think that there's not a whole lot of creativity that goes into commercial work and not like commercially on TV, but like more like corporate stuff yeah. and advertising. But we've all seen those commercials that, or like even those ads where it's like, damn, that's yeah. really dope. Yeah. And I think that the artist side of me always tries to bring that into whatever I create, however I create it. Yeah. So that I, you know, something in there, um, gets to express my creativity in some kind of way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there there is always a debate between like art film and like blockbuster front films, and then like commercial work. Yeah. And the distinguishing between the three of them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting though, because there are people now that are kind of melding all that. Because Moonlight, Moonlight that. is it's a movie, mm-hmm. right? But in some realms, like that shit can live as an art film. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, and, but like, um, me and my business partner were just talking about that and how, like, especially in the black communities, like, you know, the movies we grew up with, Boys in the Hood, Menace to Society, um, like, 
they depicted the neighborhoods they grew up in, but they depicted them as like realism, but there mm-hmm. was no art. Like yeah. like had in it. Mm-hmm. And even I don't know if y'all seen the movie Kicks. Yes. Yeah. But Kicks also Kicks had crazy. like a really yeah. cool like artistic, artistic yeah. like element to it. Um and how it not only displayed um the neighborhood, but it displayed like the experience in a different yeah. artistic way. Yeah. Um I would so, say the same for even though He's very controversial in a lot of communities. I would say the same for Spike Lee. No, though yeah, people yeah. might not like no, his no. art, but he, he definitely takes an artistic, artistic slant. Way. Yeah, for no, sure. I, I think he's always kind of been. Uh, he has ebbs and flows. So in his art, like, so we take do the right thing, right? So if you talk about the artistic expression of like how you're talking about like this is the hottest day of the summer, like yeah. how you express those things without necessarily just flat out saying message is hot. Yeah. Of like the anger and things boiling up and what mm-hmm. that means. Like all that is like the artistic side of it. Yeah. Later with like, you know, the sweet blood. Like, <laughs> I don't know anybody who likes that movie. Have you seen that? Right I there? have not. Don't. But I'm also. No, you know what? Movie. See it. Hold on. That's the one where, where the preacher, his. They're vampires. Huh? Oh, no. I haven't <laughs> Wait, seen there's that a, one. There's a Spike Lee vampire movie? Yeah, I haven't seen that he one. He crowdsourced it. Um, okay. I'm thinking about Red Hook Summer. Yeah, it was on Red Showtime. And I remember watching the movie like, what in the fuck is this? <laughs> and like it went off and I was like, oh, Spike, bro. <laughs> okay, like, I'm going to, yeah. I actually love, quote, bad movies. Like it's mm-hmm. a a quirk of mine so now i will add that to yeah you. check that out like, I'm like, oh, this that is sounds so pretty awful. bad this is like oh this is so awful i love it i'm yeah, that person like, <laughs> like i would say like sharknado is here mm. the sweet blood is like right in here oh okay. like it was easily like one of the worst films i've ever oh, seen i'm so life. excited to watch it now <laughs> i'm very i'm vehemently against vampire and zombie movies in 2018 yeah and they were all black vampires oh, oh yes you're it's like okay so was it as bad as vampire in brooklyn okay here's the thing about vampire <laughs> so vampire brooklyn is like satire and comedy so it's supposed to be funny and so the parts that are really ridiculous are almost supposed to be. I mean, it's Eddie Murphy yeah. and like Arsenio Hall. Like, so yeah, I thought Vampire in Brooklyn was hilarious personally growing up. It was fun. But, you know, I can watch it right now and still like laugh. And laugh <laughs> like. This movie, I think, was not supposed to be funny. Okay. Oh, mm. I'm so excited to watch this. So, I'm so excited. Oh, God. And, you know, bad. and I'm always willing to say, you know, if somebody sees and they're like, no, nah, you just missed it. Cool. Show mm. me. Like yeah. show me what yeah. I missed. Let's watch it again, and Let's you point it out again, and like, just show me like why this is a great. I mean, that's the education part of it. Yeah. like, yeah, like, like show me why this is a good film. Yeah. But I, I would challenge somebody to show, like, yeah. please show me. And I think the interesting thing about something like that, though, for all artists, is that there's still probably something in that movie that you saw and was like, oh, okay, that was cool. Like Whoa. whether it's whether it's a shot. Yeah, like, I mean, you know it's, Spike, whatever. So it's, yeah. it's Spike Lee. So one thing Spike Lee's always been really good about is one um, in his casting, having a really good representation of like the entire diaspora of like skin tones of black folks, yeah. which is really cool. But, and personalities. And personalities. Yeah. But, but more specifically for film, the challenge in that is lighting yeah. all of those different skin tones. And he always does a good job of it. So I will say in that movie, there's a good job of lighting. Yeah. At least. I didn't really think about that because I'm thinking about like the pizza, the pizza shop scenes in do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Like everybody is wonderfully lit, especially like 
at the end of the film, like everybody is wonderfully lit mm-hmm. and everybody's there. Yeah. Right. And, like and, and it's crazy. You have no idea how hard that was to do in the eighties because the color yeah. science of cameras was just not there. Yeah. Because there was a thing called a, I tell the people, it was a thing called a Shirley card. And I don't know if you're familiar with this from like, um, the photography class. Gray cards and stuff like but that. But the Shirley yeah. card was based upon a white woman. And so Kodak film and things of that nature, you could color them and know where your color science was based on the Shirley card. The problem with that is anything that deviated away from that. Yeah. So you, you couldn't yeah. light it. It was hard to light it properly. So if you had a, a light subject and a dark subject mm-hmm. in the same frame, one of them was losing. Yeah. Yeah. And generally it was the darker subject and it wasn't until like the seventies or eighties when they started to say, okay, um, I have mahogany furniture and chocolate and I can't tell the difference between the two of them that they were like, oh, okay, well, let's do something. It wasn't because of our skin tone, it was literally because of furniture yeah. and chocolate, milk and dark chocolate um, that they started to like really invest in that, but it hadn't caught up to filming yet. Yeah. So for him to be able to do that took a lot of creativity. So, yeah. yeah. Learn something new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know, I think about that all the time in photography, just, and it, it goes into my drawing also, like just the use of color and things mm-hmm. like that and how small changes are, are big, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In, in being able to view it, right? Being able to tell the difference between the, that coloration, the color variation. Um, and Spike's always been really good about the way that he uses color also, mm-hmm. um, the way that he uses filters and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. But you don't consider yourself an artist. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but I, I guess I can kind of speak to that a little bit because like that's just the technical side of what it is. Yeah. Right. Like it's not there's an art to it. Absolutely. But at the same time, like when you're doing that, like you're thinking technically. Right. Like even with photography, if I start talking to people about different ways of exposing and things like that and different ways of using exposure then that starts to go into the technical side. But when I use it, it depends on whether it's commercial or whether it's an artistic endeavor. Yeah. But doesn't and that then, come down to the final product being yes, appealing? It and does. So, it absolutely a, does. So there's a side yeah, to so every type of art making. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I think, yeah. Because mm-hmm. even whether commercial or film, if the end goal is to make something that's appealing, mm-hmm. that's dictated by your audience. Yeah. And so, but it's still. Oh, art. no, I'm you not saying it makes sense. <laughs> I'm not saying the separation makes sense. Oh, okay. I'm just saying the separation is <laughs> I was there. Like, maybe I'm not because, getting something because it still sounds like no, art. <laughs> because even even when so speaking about color in that way, mm-hmm. there are still people who are in film that would hear that and be like, "Oh, he's technically driven," and it's just like, <laughs> "No, it's not necessarily that I'm technically driven, but that shit matters." Yeah. So and, it's <laughs> but there I, and I will say that like there is a difference though in film and in other things where you can know so much that it almost stifles you as an artist. Yeah. Um, like you get so locked into yeah. like the process of what it has to be. Uh-huh. And in, in our terms, I, I typically call them like, um, well, it's not PC. So I'm not going to say that. Um, what is that? <laughs> yeah, no, um, no, I'm curious. Everyone's problematic chap. Go no. ahead. Join in. Um, <laughs> I mean, if it's that bad, we'll edit it out. Yeah. I'm be like, Whoa, but <laughs> No, it's just like you become like a camera whore, like in the sense oh. of like, <laughs> no, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's okay. yeah, that's not like, worth. You the always want like the latest greatest because you feel like it's gonna make your yeah. like, lens so much better. Like you but can't shoot this shit because you, you don't have an R. Right, you know like, I mean? like, but if 
Yeah, but yeah. If you had like a, if you which had, is also problematic, but you know, if you have the eye, thing. you have the eye. You know, what I mean? yeah, you could shoot with. Yeah, like yeah, I've yeah. seen a kid in high school, like literally, this kid on YouTube who shoots like music videos with like a four hundred dollar camera, mm-hmm. and they're dope as fuck. Yeah, like it, like he's What's in high name? school. Yeah. I can't remember. If, oh, okay. if I could, I would tell you. My you first know? publishings were with a Canon T2I that you know I bought saying? for like, like eight hundred bucks. Like you don't, you, need, <laughs> you don't need like a Hasselblad. Is that how you say it? Hasselblad? Blood. Yeah. You don't need that if you can't work a T2I. Like, yeah, like yeah. it's not gonna make if it. you can't ma- if you can't make a good image with a bottom of the barrel camera. You don't need a fifty thousand dollar camera because that shit ain't gonna do it's nothing. Not. For you. I mean, I just a uh, woman just did a photo shoot with it at my studio and those the Hasselblad. Oh, my God. oh she yeah, no, 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 no. The Hasselblad like that no, no. is. But if you know what you're doing, yes, with it, you have to know what you're yeah. doing because if you don't know and what you're does, doing, the photo the is still gonna be shit. But yeah, but if you don't know what you're doing with it, like it, it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Like you can have matter. amazing cameras, amazing glass. You can have the best lighting. Yeah, that's but if you don't know what the hell you're doing, mm-hmm. if you don't know the simple things like composition, exposure, it's going to be shit. Period. Or you're just blank. not good at it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like I remember, happens. I remember, um, and I'm sure that he doesn't listen to like this. So I'm cool with throwing his ass under the bus. But I remember like one of the first projects we did like on a larger scale mm-hmm. like we raised all this money to do this thing we had this guy come in mm-hmm. and he was supposed to be like this like like i know what i'm doing type dude like he had all the money in the world i i think i have i think i have because and like we dumped like maybe 20 grand in this dude and like he brought like this 40 foot crane and i remember telling him like oh yo this is the camera we want to use and he asked me like and i said this is the lens you want to use and he was like well, what's t 2.1 mean and i was like huh but it didn't like trigger anything of course because yeah. this dude had like talked about any accolades but i didn't realize that that was just like nepotism and like because you were white and you had a lot of money i'm not and, gonna ask his name specifically on air but is this the dude i'm thinking about uh at jonathan's house yes with the baby powder the baby powder? Yo, okay. I was sick for like three weeks over yeah. that damn baby powder, yeah. man. Like, yeah. okay, we need context. Yeah, right? baby powder. Okay, so yeah, baby powder just sounds so weird. Create, we can take this tangent to create atmosphere, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. as opposed oh to God. using like a, a hazer fog machine, or a hazer, not yeah. a fog machine. I'm sorry, yes. fog is like well, they're different. Just fog gives you like yeah. a Michael you Jackson thriller. Thousand dollars for him to yeah. spread baby powder. Oh, Jonathan, pissed. So much baby powder all over Jonathan's house. Man, oh, and it was terrible. That shit was crazy. But here's the thing, though. Like the, the idea mm-hmm. is that, like, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Because yeah. the accolades he had and the things he was able to do was because of his status, not necessarily yeah. because of his eye. Yeah. And if we could invest that money into someone who was like young and up and coming and gave him that kind of budget, it would have been Bro. freaking phenomenal. But this dude, like, and even, like, I remember, like, one of our dailies, like, he put together, like, this, um, like, this quick cut yeah. to that um, nine inch, it was a nine inch nail, that, ooh, ah, ah, like, that, oh, that real rock yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah. And we looked at it, like, like, I remember that was day two, and we were like, yeah. this is going to be bad. Oh, homeboy from Austin? Oh, this is going to be bad. <laughs> the dude from Austin was dope. Yeah, like, he was him, really dope. I'm talking about, like, really on dope. set, the same guy oh, yeah, put yeah, together, yeah. like, a daily where he cut together his own, like, little uh, reel of what he had shot. It was bad. But yeah. I just say that, like, he had all of the stuff. 
Yeah, he had all the stuff. He had all the stuff. All the stuff, but did yeah. not know what to do with yeah. it because he was not good. Cause, yeah, and he was used to using, he was used to the overview, right? Like having all the big shit, being able to use great glass, but he wasn't used to having to deal with the small shit. So his continuity was off. And I remember that shit. Like, <laughs> like he's just moving shit around to get this creative shot that he's thinking about, but then he won't put it back so that it's in the shot for the next joint. And he's just like, yo, yeah, what the fuck right. are you doing? And I'll like, say yeah, this. It was the best thing that he crazy. did was he hired two other camera ops. There were Art and Duncan. I'll say their names. Their work <laughs> were the majority of the shots that we used besides our own camera ops. Yeah. His actual shots, we used none. Yeah. They were that bad. Yeah. Like, what in the hell did you see that you thought like that's the one right there? But he looked like a cinematographer though, with his and vest talked, and all that shit. And he like, talked a huge game. Like <laughs> we were like, okay, this is how like bougie it was. You talking about first world problem? Bruh. We were in the steam room, right? And we were talking about like, ah, oh, man, me and my business partner, we were talking about like, oh man, um, like we're really looking for like a cinematographer. Like, man, if only we could find one. And this dude was just like, oh, y'all need a cinematographer? I know the best. And we're like, oh, for real? He was like, yeah, you're looking at him. And we was like. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Red flag. But hold the thing. Here's the thing. We looked him up and we saw like his accolades. Yeah. He's like won World Fest. We saw a couple of his pieces. Yeah. And he was like, this is yeah. not bad. But sometimes if you're, and it happens to us all, right? Like if you see the fanfare and then you see the work and it's straight, you're, you're like, like, oh, oh shit. Yeah, okay, cool. Instead of really like, okay. Fuck all the accolades. Let me actually take a deep dive in this right. work. And, that's what and then was. when you do that, you be like, uh, nah, yeah. he ain't what that is. That's like, exactly nah. what it was. Yeah. And it happens, you know? Yeah. It's... yeah that was a... <laughs> hey, man, that was an experience, though. It was, it was an experience. experience that I learned from. It was still it was dope, though. Somebody's it, was, it was still it dope. It came out great because yeah. we hired people at the end who were real artists. And you got to have those learning experiences. And too, those man. learning experiences you got were to. expensive, you got but to. they were great. You got to. And I mean, you know, got some good laughs out that shit too. That shit's funny. Baby but, Potter. Okay. Yo, so much Baby Potter. Like, I was literally sick for like three weeks after that. <laughs> from breathing and all that damn Baby like Potter. Like, it was legit like LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> yo, it was like just <laughs> people squirting the bottles oh, of Baby God. Potter into the air. And Jonathan's home is beautiful. Beautiful house, man. It like it would affect the equipment, too. <sighs> Probably. She wasn't smart. Probably. I, so, <laughs> I always love a good tangent on the podcast. Yeah. I'm not, always on the randomest shit. <laughs> but we, 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 we go through all that to say, like, if you have all of the equipment, that's cool. But what the fuck are you doing with it? Like, what does, what does the actual work look like? And I think that's a question that people have to ask themselves and ask of the people that they're working with as well. Um, because otherwise you're too busy looking at the equipment like oh shit okay you must be nice you got $20,000 worth of equipment yeah. and nah that's not true not true I have run into several people that are like oh man I just bought this $2,000 camera and I don't know how to use it can you teach me why did you do that why the fuck would you waste $2,000 oh man you know but usually those guys are like they're oftentimes doctors or lawyers who are looking for a hobby 
and they have hella money to spend. I feel very attacked right now, but I'm not a doctor. I was gonna say, but at the end of the day, like (laughs) it's not necessarily all bad because if those people who are trying to like branch out and do something different and tap into their creativity, because I do feel like we all have something within us that, from a young child, whether it was stifled or not by somebody. we lose that along the way. So in order for, or I think the fact that these people who are considered like long, I don't know, just not creatives, that the fact that they're like, oh, like I feel inspired to buy this camera to yeah. capture beauty and be creative in some way. I think that's good. But I also, I know what you're saying yeah. too. Yeah, no, it's totally fair. And I'm all for it. Like, yeah. I was going to say, because I definitely came to you and asked you how yeah. to use my camera that I no. No, 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 but that and that's fine. The thing is, <laughs> but you were already taking pictures, right? Like, and you're you're thinking about how you're taking these pictures. You're thinking about the things that you're taking pictures of, right? Like, you're thinking about your framing and things like that, and that's understandable. Some of these guys, like, they literally still have the shit in the box, and they're like, "Yo, I need somebody to teach me how to use. It. I just bought it. It's just sitting at the house." Because they could. Yeah. Okay. Well, like, oh, well, you know, okay. get start talking about glass and they're like, oh, yeah, I have that lens too. Run me like $2,000. It's, it's sitting in there too. It's just in the closet. And it's just kind of like, all right, cool. Well, yeah, you got to start somewhere. But I think for me, the best thing I did with photography was learning on a 1983 film camera <laughs> to really learn what those functions are and how they work. And I think a lot of times, we get in these modes where it's like, well, shit, I want to be like this person. And instead of thinking about the road that they took to get there, they think about the shit that they have. Well, like, <laughs> yes. And Kevin, we talk about that a lot too, of just this instant gratification of like, yeah. and it's so much, I think, dependent in a lot of ways, not all the time, but on social media. And you're like scrolling through Instagram and you see people doing these really cool things and you're inspired, which is not a bad thing. But you're really wanting to, I guess, you know, like somehow encompass that. And so you're like, oh, well, they're using this, this and this. I want to be that good. I want to do that. So I'm going to go ahead and buy this really expensive camera or this really expensive piece of equipment Mm -hmm. without being willing to like start from the ground up and put that hard work in. And I think, too, when you see social media as well, you're like, oh, like this is so cool. You don't see all the hard work that's been put in previously, all the years of like grinding it out, too. And so I think that's just kind of our day and time right now as far as like there's so much we're accessible. Like we have so much access to everything and seeing everything. And so, yeah. Yeah. You just, you want to microwave a career and like a product. And I think early on, I remember when they start coming out with like these really accessible, like 4k cameras and like, I like you think like, okay, the market's going to be so saturated with so many people who can create a, a product that looks good for the most part. But then it came to mind, like thinking, thinking, like, okay, it doesn't really matter what you shoot with, right? So yeah. there's an 8K camera coming out that's gonna probably be under two thousand dollars, which means that a shit ton of people can afford it. Yeah. But it does not matter what you shoot with; it matters what you shoot. Yeah. With and the content. And yeah. I think the the vantage point is that there's so many people who think that all right, well, if I can just get this, yeah, that's what I need. Yeah. And then my it'll go to the next yeah. level. But it's not about that. It's about maximizing whatever yeah. you got to make it look dope, defining your look. And then if yeah. you want to step up, that's cool. And right. it always happens with the new technology because that happened with the second generation of DSLR cameras, right? Mm-hmm. Like when 
it's like, oh shit, I can buy a camera that shoots 1080p HD for like $800. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And everybody's worried about the same thing. And everybody bought them. Everybody bought 50 millimeter 1.8 to 1.4 lens. I mean, 1.2 lenses. And everybody shot these shallow depth of field joints with like the eyes are super in focus and everything else is blurry and all that. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, yeah, all y'all are trash. There are a few people doing good work and it, it people kind of weeded themselves out based on their, their ability to use the equipment. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think even with that, they'll be weeded out. So I'm sorry. I know you had questions. I did. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry. Let's, let's change gears and tell me about Fox Sparrow studios. So mm. for our listeners, that is Abby's, uh, it's on, it's hosted on Etsy, right? Online yeah. Store? So my online store is on Etsy. Um, but I have website too, okay. where you can see more of a cohesive representation of my work. It changes, but yeah, Box Sparrow Studio is my brand, and so like I've mentioned previously, I make functional works for home and um, the table, the kitchen, like whatever part of the home um, you see it fitting in. But it was inspired one just from growing up in my family so one thing that I love about creating functional pieces is that it brings people together around the table most likely just from like we said earlier bowls plates cups things like that and so when growing up um being around the table every evening with my family it was a hard like a very important tradition that my parents um held every night we turned the tv off we cooked dinner together we sit at the table and so when i think about making these pieces i'm really inspired by the idea of family coming together and clients buy these pieces they become these generational pieces hopefully that they're passed down and that they're used and um yeah so that's what i'm inspired by right now just the idea of coming together and using these pieces and enhancing the food enhancing the experience and with the hopes that, you know, they become heirlooms of sorts being passed down. Did you talk to, for the artists that might be listening and want to set up an e-commerce platform, could you talk through that process? How did you pick it? How do you set pricing, pitfalls of it? Yeah. So I chose Etsy, one, because at the time... I didn't have a website, nor did I have the knowledge of knowing how to really set up my shop on my website. And so I've had it for, oh my gosh, probably like 2009, right after I graduated school, which is funny because I look back at some of the things I was trying to sell and I'm like, oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I like Etsy because it's really easy to post things. Um, You reach a broader audience, I think. So I think selling online straight from your website you have people who know your work really well and they'll go there to buy work but etsy is worldwide and so i have people buying that i've never encountered in person that i don't know and so i like that it's expansive in that way um pricing i think that will always be a hard thing for artists i think Mm -hmm. it's never gonna get easy i think for me right now i've come to a place being comfortable with pricing my work because my work is production-based sometimes, so I am making similar items. So I'm like, okay, I know the time it put in, I put in this piece, I know the materials, how much it costs, I feel really comfortable pricing it at this place. Mm -hmm. 
But then the uncomfortable part comes in is like when so maybe something's selling really fast too quickly and you're like, okay, so should I go up on the price a little bit? Um, but then again, I always have this battle of like wanting to have pieces that are affordable at all incomes. That's really important to me. I think it's important for people to have beauty in their homes, mm -hmm. no matter how much money they make per year. And so, um, but yeah, I have my studio mate and I talk about this a lot of just like, uh, like yeah. how do you price your work? What feels affordable, but also is valuing your time and your materials. Yeah. And so that's always a hard thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's so many platforms that you can sell your work on. It just has to be a good fit for you. I know artists who don't use Etsy at all and they just set up shop on their website and they post about it. They advertise yeah. about it and then they sell out completely. Um, so I think it just has to work for you. Mm -hmm. I think it also depends on your medium that you're working in as well for, you know, paintings or drawings or sculpture. Etsy may not be the best way to go about it. Yeah. So find a platform that works good for you. Okay. Yeah. You also have to think about the, your margins because some places charge a lot more. Which Etsy right. has gone up just recently yeah. with their um, listing prices and the percentage they take per sale. And um, yeah, I think that kind of kind of sucks. I think you just have to just see if it works for you still. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so some take more than others. Square, I think, is one of my favorites. You can also set up a website through them and sell directly on your website. But they're technology as far as like being able to take like your little uh, square reader or chip yeah. reader with you I never have problems with them I'm like a big fan of square and um, I think that the transaction fees that they take are comparable if not yeah. lower yeah so. they're actually a little bit lower than because I think PayPal has one now mm -hmm. like they have a card reader like, uh, into it yeah. um, they yeah. have one but their their fees are a little bit higher too um yeah, this isn't a Square commercial, but Square is pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Square, hey, you know, if you want to throw some money our way, we'll do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so I guess when you guys, when for either one of you, when y'all are working and if, say, you just have an idea, right, an artistic idea, and you don't necessarily... It's not you haven't planned for it to be ceramics or you haven't planned for it to be a film just yet, but it's an idea. How do you choose what media you're going to work in? I think the idea, the idea generally dictates that like um, it's I mean, for me personally, it's rare that I have an idea that doesn't come with the medium attached to it. Yeah. So I'm like in in every narrative of the idea that I want to tell, like there's a way to tell it. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, a way that comes to mind, like, okay, this would be the best way to tell it like, yeah. in the idea. Yeah. Um, some require more work than others, but it kind of comes along with the idea for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so with film, I guess another way to ask that question is how would you decide format, right? Or what instrument you're going to use to record it, right? Are you going to use 4k and just, throw some heavy filters on it or are you going to go something a little bit older technology that'll give it another kind of gritty feel or like how do you make those decisions um 
once again, ideas came, um, depending on the subject matter uh, and how the narrative will be, will be best told. Mm-hmm. Depends on like what I use or what comes to mind of how it should be, how it sh- the final product should look. Yeah. And so um, it's kind of built into the idea or at least through the brainstorming process, thinking through the idea and kind of um, filtering out what needs to happen in that process. Um, and that's something I really want to experiment more with. Um, Cause right now my main thing is like, I apply my look to whatever idea happens as opposed to being able to strongly deviate based on the idea. Yeah. Like that's more important to me is defining a look. And so if someone sees it, no matter what the idea is, they know, okay, that's his work. Yeah. Um, kind of like Michael Bay. I'm just, I'm just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not where I thought you were going with yeah. that. <laughs> I didn't hear Bay. God, he's. <laughs> yeah, no, more like. So, Y'all can see his face right now. So, more like, um, like, for, like Clint Eastwood. So, I would say. Yeah. Or yeah. Um, like Clint Eastwood, like you generally know if you see his films, he has a look. It's very dry, um, very desaturated in how it comes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those kind of things. Michael yeah. Bay also has a look. It's very <laughs> Over vibrant. The top. And blue, and yeah. you know, there's lots of lens flares, random sunsets <laughs> in moments where they were not previously there. But uh, yeah, in defining a look, I think you know, whatever the idea is, I really want to apply that look, my look that I have carefully curated to whatever yeah. the idea is. So, okay, what about you? Mm-hmm. Well, I think right now I just automatically default to clay because it's what I've been doing. Um, And I feel like because of just current obligations with um, stores or trying to get work out to clients, I feel like I don't have a lot of open mind space to think about projects outside of what I'm currently doing, Mm -hmm. which I'm thankful for that. But I'm also hopeful for this next year to be able to have more mind space to think outside yeah. of what I'm doing um, because what I when I think I pull back to when I was in school of we were able to experiment with so many different mediums mm-hmm. and so I love the idea of being able to do something with uh, metal or clay I mean <laughs> clay clay as well <laughs> metal or wood um, and kind of just like you were saying, like Jack was saying, as far as whatever is best for the idea and thinking a little bit further out and outside of clay would be ideal for this next year. But right now I feel like I automatically am like, oh, clay, that's that's a great option. That's a great material. And I think too, because I'm really comfortable with it right now. So I think to push myself and be a little bit more courageous with trying different mediums. Are there any mediums you've experimented with that you are like, uh, I'm not a fan um not really I I mean the only one and I think just because I'm not super familiar with it I never took like a watercolor class Mm -hmm. um I just haven't experienced it I think if I were to have better training in it and have time to play with it I'm sure I I really love all different types of mediums um because in school I feel like we tried so much. Like I welded. Yeah. I um, that was my favorite. <laughs> like, teenagers, I'm just no. Like, I'm just. Granted, uh, we were. Well, I guess we were teenage. Well, I probably was twenty. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, in college. In I college. don't know why I was yeah. thinking high yeah. school. Like, that yeah. seems like well, no, a very I, bad idea. Oh, it still is. There are welding classes in the high school. Oh, yeah. My yeah. my uh, friend caught her bangs on fire while nice. she was welding, so that was eventful. That's hilarious. <laughs> 
But I love that we got access to try all those yeah. things. And welding is something I love. And I would, I'm always like, how can I incorporate this yeah. into like a ceramic sculptural piece, like welding a frame? And, and that's what I did a lot in undergrad is it was, <laughs> Shop can vouch, it was dark and scary and a little like, uh, <laughs> it was totally different from the work that I do now, mm-hmm. but yeah. I love that because it just shows change and growth. And also I would love to circle back around to some of that stuff. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I made the face I made because at first I was like, welding, what the fuck? But I realized like I didn't spend a lot of time in the sculpture studio mm-hmm. when I was in college. Mm-hmm. So who knows what the hell they were doing down there? Because yeah. I was usually in the photo lab. Weird, or... disgusting things. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... actually, the weird, disgusting things happen in the painting, or drawing, drawing okay. or photography I, studios. Maybe. Yeah. I just I've yeah. heard okay. stories about art school that was just like, Ugh. yeah, that's that's that's. I'm being judgmental. Like, Those are my people. <laughs> the fucking weirdos are my people. Cool. Like, <laughs> like in a photo class, you will see photos of everyone naked. I mean, and it's so random and weird. That was mentioned on another interview. Yeah, said, yeah. That everyone does new. Yeah, <laughs> like everyone does. It's kind of the weird shit. Like I know in photography, there are these. There's these very rote things that you go through, right? Like light writing, mm. um, <laughs> nudes, um what else uh there are a bunch of people that go through like these the noir point. stages the what the traffic picture yeah that that's usually that's the usually long exposure is like same as light writing but like noir and shit like that mm-hmm. like everybody goes through that phase right everybody does that they touch on that at least at one point so i imagine in sculpture like that's kind of the same thing right like yeah and i mean even like professional like i was thinking about one artist in particular i think that's what <laughs> chap was shaking his head at there's a ceramic artist who um does really like cool work and like the ideal behind it and like the the i don't know but it just uses (laughs) (laughs) he uses his own pubic hair in it and so it's just like that's i'm I'm sorry everybody has my same face i'm I'm sorry i'm sorry he uses his own pubic hair he does in order to create these pieces they're not functional are they no actually they are they're mugs i'm kidding (laughs) that would be hilarious no no there's sculpture but i remember like in a weird about way like in school being like man this is so weird but like okay like thinking outside the box people um his ass back in that box yeah (laughs) no i I was y'all had some other questions (laughs) oh he's like i'm still i'm still a little like what the fuck like his name and I'll, I'll send you some but I've also yeah. seen paintings that people have done with their vaginas I've also seen we're not like, putting whatever I'm, it is with pubic hair on our Instagram nah so hell no nah, no nah, we good usually we highlight things that oh, our interviewers yeah. we're not yeah no we're not gonna while we're ahead we, we will not put the pubes yes I, I, I put that down okay. yeah no no I, I'm still trying to kind of like I guess, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Like I've seen a no lot of limits. crazy shit. We yeah, that's true. That art that's does true. Not have limits. It that's true. Not have we boundaries. actually, um, that's, yeah, that's a boundary that I'm not willing to <laughs> cross or engage. But you know, wow. Yeah. All right. Is that considered fine art? Uh, 
I, I think it's considered I, unsanitary. I mean, again, it goes back <laughs> to that question because it's ceramic. So yeah. a lot of people would say crafts, uh. so, but he was primarily showing in galleries. So people might consider mm. that sculpture more so than okay. uh, it's just that fine line again. I would consider it fine art. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hung up on whether it's fine art or not. I'm just kind of like trying to think through the thought process that would lead me to like using pubic hair in anything. I think he had this great explanation. I don't remember. That's one of you could probably con- read his artist statement. And I always say context matters. It's just yeah. one of the things I like doing with the interview. Yeah. I don't know if I want to know the context of that. <laughs> I mean, context does matter, but at the same time, I can't context doesn't fucking matter yeah. because it's kind of like there there are a lot of people that do these outrageous things mm-hmm. For and then value. yeah and then they come back and they're like well i need to find a way to explain this and it happens in art all the time mm-hmm. shit i teach my students to do it like because if you're an ap student and you need you have work that's a four level but you need to get that six for your ego well shit you need to find a better explanation explain why your work isn't six quality work mm-hmm. say it's intentional right and then boom you get those point those points so people do that in the professional art world as well where they make shitty work and then they come up with a brilliant explanation and people are like oh my god it's so beautiful it's this it's that and you're just like come the fuck on like really imagine the first artist talk where he had pubic hair in his work man i tell people all the time <laughs> about like an artist in the New York scene who's tied to one of these famous families who took newspaper and uh, phone books and shredded them and left them in a gallery and him and his drugged out friends like hung out in that shit for days. And that was the exhibition? That, that was the exhibition. Mm. Huge show. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, come the mm. fuck on. Like, there's bullshit in the art world. Like, <laughs> let's be honest. Like, there, there's bullshit there, and we give it a pass because somebody gave it a great meaning instead of just being like, "Come on, man. you know you bullshit. You know, you know you pulled this out your ass." And some people literally have displayed things that they pulled out of their oh ass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So while we're on the topic, I would, I would ask? like to ask each one of you. Oh, no. okay. <laughs> um, why would you? Okay. How concerned are you with other people's opinions of your artwork? Since, you know, <laughs> that's that's why we're on that topic. <laughs> Not as. Like, what? Um, the question is for both of okay. you. So. I think it's been a journey for me. Okay. Um, and I think I'm at a much more, like, comfortable place with the things that I'm making. Um but I mean, I mean, I don't know, even in school, like I kind of did things that were a little bit, like I was saying earlier, a little bit stranger outside the box. And I, at that point I was like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing it. And maybe that's just like the art school vibe. You just like yeah. experiment and you're like, I don't care. This is awesome. Like I'm doing it. <laughs> we'll figure um, this shit out. Yeah. And then I think as I know for me, as I started actually thinking about doing this like professionally full time, there is a bit of like, Oh, like. Am I what I'm putting out there? And I think there's always a bit of fear of like, oh, what will people like? Are they going to 
accept what I'm creating? Are they going to like tear it up or be like, oh, this is like stupid. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, even when I try like new collections of work, I think that sometimes there's still like a bit of fear when you put it out there. I, but I would say for the most part, I feel comfortable with where I'm at in a sense of like feeling confident. Maybe confident is a better word than comfortable. I don't know if I ever want to be super comfortable with what I'm creating. I always want to have like a that drive to do something different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that there's always a little bit of fear still if you're putting out something totally different or something new. What about you? Yeah, I I think I can say this with a fair amount of certainty. Any artist who creates work mm-hmm. that they're passionate about cares what other people think. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it goes back to the age-old adage by Erica Badu, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit because, mm-hmm. like, there's a part of you that you're sharing. Mm-hmm. And so every artist, in a sense, wants to be accepted. Like, they want their work to be accepted. And, you know, you can train your brain to get to a place where you don't care as much, but you still care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would love to say that, nah, I don't care, but that's just a facade that I can put up and be like, I don't care, mm-hmm. but not. I mean, yeah, I care. And every other artist also yeah. cares. Like, yeah. we all care. Otherwise, I don't I feel like we wouldn't. Yeah. Like, we would just do it and keep it at the crib. Like, yeah. like we care. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting thing. And it makes me think about, like, just the fact that both of you teeter between commercial and fine art, right? Mm-hmm. But then also thinking about the fact that, like, if everybody's being completely fucking honest, we all want to say a lot in our work. Right. And we want people to get a lot from our work in a very special way. But we also want to be dumb rich from this shit. Like <laughs> people want to make I don't know. You know not necessarily not necessarily dumb rich, but you you want to be successful at it, which is going to bring well, I mean, certain things, right? Here's, like here's the thing. So I think because I had to battle with this so often so soon, because I remember being in high school and being like, I don't want to go to college. Yeah. I don't. Like at the time, I was like, I'm gonna see where this music shit pans out to. Like, I'm gonna just see where it goes. Cause and I'm rapper, producer. I was producer at the time, but like, I felt like I was, I felt like I was good enough. That I was like, yeah. well, I can see this out and see where this goes. And I remember having this conversation with my mom, who's like super educated and like multiple degrees on like, like you know, several levels. And I remember telling her like, I don't care if I make like a teacher's salary to support myself doing what I love. That to me is okay. And that's always kind of been my thing. Like, if I can support myself doing what I love, yeah, I'll be fine. Like, I don't need to make Ubers and Ubers like of, of money, like to feel like okay, well now I'm successful. Like, yeah, I feel like as long as my family's taken care of, and like I can do the things that are important to me, doing what I love, I'm good. Like, I don't need yeah. to be stupid rich. Yeah, that's fair. Like, not even rich. Like, I yeah. just I just want to be okay. Like, yeah, as long as my family's okay and I'm okay and yeah. we're not struggling. And even then, like, even if we struggle sometimes and I'm still doing what I love, like, it makes it so much easier because, you know, you know, you're doing something that you're passionate about. The danger comes in and when you stop doing what you're passionate about Mm -hmm. and you're struggling because then the shit just sucks outright. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's. Fuck. Hey man, I feel like a little shade was thrown my way when you said make a teacher salary and shit. But that's no, cool. No, 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 man, no, no, it's cool. And, and that's, that's no shade to no, teachers cool. because no. teachers should be paid more. <laughs> Way more like yeah. they should. Like they're responsible yeah. for like our entire next generation in shaping but that the just future. Goes to show you yeah. how we feel about but it makes no sense. Like, but education is stupid. 
Yeah. Formalized education is stupid. Not educating yourself. Sorry. I'm sorry. I, and I say that with all confidence because I'm a fucking teacher. But, anyway. <laughs> but to go uh, <laughs> fear that we feel with creating art like the yeah. show that we had back in february yeah. that transfigured what was it transfigured transfigured right? yeah Th- i was about to say transfiguration oh that was it no it was transfigured oh, it was was transfigured. It? okay right. yeah um so like i think like the work that i am creating right now because it is again more production based it yeah. feels less fearful when i go to sit and make a bowl that i've made a hundred yeah. times before but for that show that we had through the artist collective with holy family that was something although it was still informed like vessel it was installation and it had more of yeah. like a thought behind it because of the way it was on the floor. It was lined up. So I was really fear. Like I had a lot of fear going into yeah. that show because I hadn't done something like that in a long time. And so the night that it opened, I had like sweaty palms and I was like kind of <laughs> nervous. Like it was just a new. And I think that anytime I do something that I will always, like you said, yeah. be fear, like excited, fearful. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's dope. Like that's one of the greatest feelings is like doing something that makes you a little nervous, but yeah. you're like in the shit, like you're doing it. Like, um, I'm working on a film right now with Lenice and Holy Family that I thought about for months, yeah. like before it happened. And like the day of, I, my palms were sweaty as shit. Cause I was like, it's finally here. Like yeah. during the process, I know in the beginning, like luckily, like Lenice had like a lot of the questions and things kind of worked out already. Cause I was like, I'm not doing a good job. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fucking this up. But like you kind of get in the groove, but I was like so nervous because it's something that you want to come out good so bad yeah. that you get a little nervous. And like, I think that all artists should do more things that challenge them and make them a little nervous. Because yeah. I feel like if you don't have that feeling, then you're not really yeah. using the entire gamut of what you're capable of. What were your feelings, chat, that surrounded showing that work at Transfigured? So actually, let me stop for a second. So Transfigured was a the culmination of a years long collective um, that Abby Chap and myself were in. Um, and we did a show February 9th of this year. Um, yeah. Was that it this? Was yeah, that was this year. Has been the it was. It seems year. long as shit. It like, because I had to pause for a second. I remember because it was the day we sorry. signed our house. We bought our house that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, definitely- we were talking about that that day. Yeah. We went and signed yeah, all those papers. That was crazy. Because yeah, as I was saying, I was like, no, that shit was 17. No, but no, that was this year. I remember the show. Shit. Black Panther like came out two years ago. Like, no, yeah. Black Panther came yeah. out in February of 2018. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, what were your feelings surrounding showing that work? Because that was like, while it was still video, mm-hmm. it was audio. Like these are things that you've worked in before, right? Yeah. But in a different capacity, right? right? Like though the building that we were showing in was, you know, a multi-purpose building, right? It was set up like a gallery, so it was essentially a gallery show for us all mm-hmm. i've done a gallery show abby you've done a gallery show was that your first gallery show chat oh yeah 100 yeah so what was the feeling like going into all that mm, uh, i think a big part of it for myself was i've trained myself to kind of disconnect sometimes mm. but there was a part of me that was just kind of like anxious i wonder if people are gonna get it. <laughs> like it was th- dumb, though. there's the there's the thought of like i wonder if yeah. people are gonna get it like i think it's good like, I think that there's something here. 
but I wonder if people are going to understand what I was trying to do here because I remember creating it. I had so many mixed emotions of like one sheer rage, just like sheer rage um, in yeah. creating that piece. And um, do you want to talk about like what it was? So yeah, that's cool. It was um yes. So I I created a piece that eventually showed on a um, twenty by twenty inch like canvas so it was like four three but like one by one kind of format um but what it was it was um kind of the juxtaposition of um maranatha which is like a uh, meditation that was going in one ear and the other ear you heard like these overlapping sounds of um black men and women being killed and like the footage was actually playing as well yeah but it was playing behind um the mix of what looked like a like gun target but also was a labyrinth so it was the like the dichotomy of all of these things kind of put together but and it ended with uh philando castile's um fiance and her calmness at the end and how like calm she was and the meditation stopped and you still felt a sense of calmness in all of it and so there was a lot of things that i was thinking about through that and creating it but like, I think I just, I hope that people got it. Like, that was my main thing. And, um, cause I knew there was strong language. So I knew that there was like some, uh, feedback as far as like kids picking up the headphones and listening yeah. to it. Um, but yeah, I was just hoping people got it and it was a really cool experience more so, but I, I just really disconnected. That was the yeah. easiest thing for me. Like, I literally just turned my brain off with disconnecting. Like, yeah. if they get it, they get it. If they don't, then whatever. Well, I will say, welcome to that feeling of being a fucking artist like that's that shit like you're you made this shit and you're like in your mind you're like yo this shit is dope mm -hmm. like this shit about to snap but then on the other side of your brain you're like fuck what if they hate it like all those years at the fashion shows though yeah because there was a lot of work that went into like those like ideas and the collections mm -hmm. and like hoping that like when stuff came out on the runway that people would see it and identify with yeah. it and, like, oh this is cool and not like yeah but then it's like, again, like, if you're not feeling that as an artist, maybe you should take a step back and be like, okay, like, yeah. and, and what I'm doing, do I believe in it? Am I pushing myself? Am I growing in that? Because I think that that is a very real and very familiar, or it should yeah. be a very familiar feeling when you believe in what you're making. Yeah, because if, if what you're doing isn't challenging you, it's probably not challenging the viewer either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? So feeling torn in that way is always a good thing because it's like okay well then one person might see it and think this one person might see it and think the opposite and then you might have people that are in the center that might move towards either side like that's yeah. challenging mm -hmm. right so and not everyone's yeah. gonna always get it and that's okay that's too true. and it's also <laughs> okay if it's a bit like uh polarizing yeah. i think that that's part of good art as well because yeah. if you can't if you're only speaking to the audience that understands you and knows your stance on whatever it is you're trying to then yeah. like who are you really reaching so being able to reach the other side too yeah, yeah. It, it made me think about the trailer i put together for the piece i'm working on and they displayed it and like, <laughs> people were like oh this is so cool this is so dope and one girl was literally like i don't, I don't get, get it, it. <laughs> like she was like i don't get it and it was just like all right cool yeah, yeah. well those things are sobering and humbling and they're also funny sometimes they're just funny because yeah. <laughs> like for me my same my piece from that same show like there were so many things in the image yeah right 
And I don't know how many times people came up to me like, oh, man, I saw that 40 in that shit. <laughs> and it's just like, cool, cool. Like, all right. I, okay. Like, <laughs> and then, you know, you have other people that come up to me and they're like, oh, well, this is an interesting take on mm-hmm. The Last Supper. Right. Like, mm-hmm. cause there was a 40, there was weed, there was, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like oatmeal cookies and shit like that. Like, right. it's a very odd thing to see and they got it immediately. And some of those stick out, but like the, the couple of people that walked us me were like, Oh shit, I saw that 40, man. Yeah. That's what's <laughs> up. Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> so they give you that, they give you those sobering moments where you get to get outside of being nervous. Mm-hmm. And feel in some kind of way, and you get to just laugh. Like, but oh, I wonder okay. if they're like engaging with the work, and they're able to see like something that they're able to. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if that's a bad thing. If there's maybe a connection, yeah. but they can't articulate like, it. Maybe, maybe they've gone into other art galleries and like never been able to connect with a piece before. And so I'm like, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's still funny though. <laughs> it's still it's still funny. Um, let me ask y'all this though, um, because. Thinking about um, the work that you did for that show, Chap, mm-hmm. um, as well as conversations that I've had with both of you previously, how do y'all think that, and I know this is kind of a heavy question nearing the end of our conversation, but um, how do y'all think that race has played a part in your success or in the work that you make even? Um collectively or like individually collectively <clears throat> however how's race playing? well race and gender because hmm. i know that's part of our audience when we interview i guess yeah yeah, more yeah. sorry, like that. sorry. That's a very heavy so question the focus so the focus for our <laughs> podcast is on women artists and artists of color mm-hmm. right and we mm-hmm. we usually talk to people about their experiences and how it's either been challenging because of mm-hmm. or how it has helped because of mm-hmm. and i think the two of you sit in interesting positions right because in film as a black person it might be difficult to get certain things done mm-hmm. however there's still uh there's still a certain amount of privilege there because you're a black man mm-hmm. not a black woman right right um and abby for you like as a white person there might be some advantages, but as a white woman, then there's that and, you know, kind of strike against you in the eyes of some. So how did you think those things play a part in successes and or failures in your work? That is a very heavy question. I, <laughs> I think the one thing that my mind kind of goes back to is there's a film that I'm like, really looking to create here in the next couple of months. Um, And I think being challenged over the last year and a half to really realize um, the privilege that I do have as I'm like, that I I have as a man. Yeah. um, Means that I have to, at times I can still tell stories that I'm passionate about. Yeah. But if in any way possible, find ways to be inclusive, to add other people to that narrative so they can also put their story as a part of it. Yeah. So it becomes authentic to more people than just like other black males. And I can tell the story, but it's not authentic to everybody. Um, yeah. 
but I, I I don't know if I've gotten to a level yet where I feel like it has helped or hurt, um, or at least I have not been made aware of it yet. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Abby kind of fiddle with that for a second, and then <laughs> maybe she'll stop. <laughs> she'll come back. But as of right now, like no, I don't. I can't say that. Um, race has necessarily played a part um, outside of the fact that like I really try to do a very like diligent job of making sure that um, just from a technical standpoint that like we're represented well Mm -hmm. Um, like that's the race part of it for me Um, I know that it comes with a fair amount of anger being like a black person in America who is fairly educated and understanding what is happening before our eyes um, so the stories I tell, I think also are affected in a way. Um, yeah. but outside of that, like it doesn't, nothing comes to mind really. I mean, it yeah. should probably, but like, I gotta, I gotta really wrestle with that. That's yeah. <laughs> no, always we follow, we have follow-ups, right? Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. yeah. As far as like little dinner too. Yeah. yeah. Reflection. Cause I mean, I mean, I understand. I definitely understand it's a heavy question. It's kind of hard to unpack like quickly yeah you know because because i have to really think through like well how has being a like how has being a black man affected or like negatively or positively like my artistic expression and i'm sure that there is like way because i know definitely like in the commercial side like it has like i know that it has because i had like um (laughs) like clients who uh I've been a retainer for who were like, well, you know, um, I'm working with such and such and they require that any subcontractor we have, they take drug tests. (laughs) Is that okay with you? Like, so there's like subtle, like aggressions like that, that come along with it. But like, as far as like the creativity and the freedom I find and like, um, when I do like put on the artist hat, um, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know. Not to interject, but even just like thinking to, for, people who like maybe have met you after they've seen your work too mm-hmm. and like maybe like white people who are like oh man you're so like wow like well spoken or like you're so, so polished yeah and it's like that underlying like yeah that's not okay like why would you assume <laughs> yeah it's just the assumption of that and I feel like people have said that to you before like had that reaction and I think that that's like an interesting like dynamic probably. when it comes to like race and your yeah. work. Yeah, they, I mean, probably I've I've probably heard that before. It's just one of those things where it's like, all right, fuck you, keep going. Yeah. Like I know I know my yeah. self worth and I know like the value that I have. And so if I have heard that before, I take it with a grain of salt. You and do, and I think like, that's why you don't remember. But I just I just because like, I don't I, like I, I don't like I wouldn't give that person enough like power to get real estate in my brain to right. But just in the like to add to the conversation yeah, yeah, of like yeah, your question yeah. of like I think even like as we're talking about this like I, I'm thinking back to like the chaplain days and I, I feel like there were a couple people that like after they met you it was kind of like oh shit mm-hmm. oh, I thought I thought your partner with that was I, I thought he was a white dude why'd you think he was a white dude mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying and it was usually because they felt like the work was too polished or 
you know what i'm saying like because we did things at a level that was you know and yeah. at a good quality level not you know like for whatever you know what I'm saying? And and that kind of threw people off, which was kind of interesting. Like, what did you expect it to be? Right. You expected to be airbrushed t-shirts? Like what <laughs> like also a work of art. No, I listen, listen. We will not listen. No, 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 no. I'm not shitting on airbrushed t-shirts, but when you tell people the you have a clothing darling, line. The SWAT darling in me is very offended that you listen, were to shit on. listen, Southwest A Leave Texas through and through, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying, okay. you know what I'm saying? When when you tell people you have a clothing line and you can see it online and then they go and they look and they're like, oh, this shit is actually nice. Like what? <laughs> and I mean, for the time period that we were doing this, this is from 07 to 2014. Yeah. So during that time, a lot of people were popping up with clothing companies mm-hmm. and there was a lot of shit out there. Like just a lot <laughs> and all different ranges. Right. Mm-hmm. But the way that people thought about us and then saw the, saw us after the fact is kind of like, Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. was, there was a lot of, there was a fair amount of people like, Oh yeah, you got that t-shirt brand. It was like, no, like I actually like, do it's more than t-shirts. So we got like, shit. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. that vein, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. But Abby, how about you? Oh man. So, can you ask the question one more time? <laughs> Just so, so I can. how do you think that race and or gender have played a role in the work that you create or your successes and failures? Okay. Um, I can't deny like being a white person and not like, I feel like especially within the past couple of years, like realizing the privilege that comes with that and yeah. like the connections and the network and like just like the the view of like, oh, she's a white woman, like being, I don't know. I just think that there's a level of privilege that I've had to acknowledge and like come, not even come to terms with yet. Like I think it's still a working out of like, no, like just realizing and learning. And I think that Chap and I have a lot of conversations about yeah, just about that. Um, and I I think as a white woman, especially being more of like a, I don't know, like, like a, like a, I don't know how to say it. Like my voice is high and it's like smaller or like <laughs> cute as some people would like to say when it comes to having that kind of voice and just like being a woman in the business world. I think yeah. that that can present a challenge and that's something I've had to really work through. Um, especially, um, when I do business with white men. Um, and so just finding my voice and being powerful in that and just being like, this is what I need. This is what I want. And like, and just showing like you know what you're talking about and I think that's true for any woman like who comes to the table in the business world just being like no like I I know I know my I know my shit basically I know what I'm doing and I can like come to you and have this conversation and Mm -hmm. I think that's been a challenge for me and just finding my voice and being able to be um, powerful in that way and it's also still a working out as well because there are still rooms that I go into and I'm like oh man okay <laughs> deep breath like I'm confident I'm like powerful I'm an artist like I know like I know my stuff through and through and now yeah. I just have to project that and so I think that has been a challenge for me um but yeah and like yeah I think the race thing is a hard question because 
I think it's still just like because of chap and like friends that I have who are not white I think it's an ongoing conversation of realizing the privilege that I have as a white person Mm -hmm. and being able to um not use that as an advantage or being able to take or take advantage of that yeah but then it's also like sometimes chap and I have these conversations of just like well it's you know like using your I don't know privilege in a way that's not objectifying other people Mm. um but using it in a way to leverage like um opportunity for others i guess in a sense i don't know if i'm saying that very well but i struggle with that of like when we talk about um the story that i want to tell and things like that and being just being aware of that i do have privilege as a white woman and like how do i go about either using that in a way that is not objectifying other people or like kind of dismantling that i guess yeah I don't know if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Like I'm even struggling to talk yeah. about it because I'm like, oh man, like it's still yeah. like a working out, and it's still I feel yeah. like I have so much learning to do, and um, but I think just like the important thing is like being aware of that and like being able to be like, okay, this is I have opportunities because of the color of my skin that a lot of people do not have. Yeah. Just because of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like heavy stuff for the beginning. So I know, the I know, like I know. Like, but well, so <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to ask that right now because I think, like, it's it's something, like, yeah, it's, you know, getting towards the end of the conversation, like, you know, it's kind of heavy. But at the same time, I think there is a bright spot in that, right? Like, as I listen to both of y'all answer that question, you both spoke to your privilege, and you both spoke to the perceived disadvantages or the real the real disadvantages Mm -hmm. um that you face in that and i think individually it's interesting right and people are going to like black men are going to identify with you chat and white women are going to identify with you abby but the thing is like y'all basically just said the same thing right like you got to be on your shit regardless of what it is because you do have things that you're working against and you have things that um that are aiding you in your station and how you can use those things to better tell stories how you can use those things to advocate for others and things like that um i think noticing that for me is one of those things that like i don't think a lot of people think about that how similar even though there there are these vast differences, right, that we all can pinpoint and point at and all that shit, right? But we don't really sit down and think about like what the sameness is yeah. in those struggles, mm-hmm. and right? I, I want to interject because yeah. although I'm not a white woman, I understood exactly what Abby was speaking to about being in rooms with men and having to find that balance between being who you are and not feeling like you have to fall into whatever role yeah. they're expecting you to be as a woman in a room that's not run by women yeah and having to advocate for yourself yeah. definitely been there yeah and yeah usually with white men but yeah <laughs> definitely yeah <laughs> usually yeah. That's, that's yeah that is my nine to five actually in a nutshell mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and also i think you hit on something else mark that um like i think there is a level of like perfectionism that comes along with um striving to be almost perfect 
Yeah. Because in order for it to be accepted, it has to be flawless. Uh huh. Like it has to be like foolproof, like nothing's in there. And I think that um, the true measure of like equity is when, and I said this before, is like when we can do shit that sucks and still be accepted and yeah. get another shot just because we wanted to try something different. And if it, like it didn't work, yeah. it sucked. Yeah. But we tried it. It didn't work because white men get that opportunity all the time. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, so, you yeah. know, it's very interesting. Brian actually said the exact same thing when we talked to him, did. like sitting in his living room. He's like, I'll be happy when there's enough black work out there, period, that people are seeing to where we can just suck. Mm-hmm. We that, can just suck and it doesn't ruin your career. That is like, that is the, <laughs> that, is the, that, is the, that is the bar. That is the bar for me for success and like equity in like our community is. When there's enough content out there to where, like, if you're flipping through Netflix or whatever, like, for film purposes, like, you can click on some shit and be like, oh, that was terrible. That was really bad. I love those so I can name all of them. That was really (laughs) bad. Yeah. But it doesn't kill that person's career because they tried something different. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that person can do something. And and I'm saying they they can do it on the way up. Mm -hmm. Not like they reached the Kanye levels. And they're accepted by white folks, and then they can do it and yeah. try and fail. I'm talking about like on the way up, mm-hmm. yeah. you can try and fail, yeah, and still keep going and not be considered like, oh, well, he's just you know whatever, whatever, yeah, yeah, or she's just whatever, whatever, yeah. Like, okay. We have the ability to really be able to yeah. fucking suck, yeah. It just didn't work. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, I'm gonna try again. Yeah, yeah. And um, the, um, same goes for women, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> because we as as for women and for men, well, men of color, it's the same in that we have to be twice as better to be accepted. I say right? this and I'm pretty sure it's going to be problematic. <laughs> so feel free to no, it's cut perfectly this fine. part out. <laughs> perfectly my, fine. My okay. personal mantra for not just creating, but pretty much anything is to approach it with the confidence of a mediocre, mediocre white man. man. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows <laughs> that. I was like, it's, that's just in my experience in lots of interactions, they have the most confidence. And it's like, I t- if I tap into that, Unstoppable. No, real shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I'm think that's problematic. I think yes, everyone I, knows a, this shit. I know, but, but that's that's my personal logic. And, and, and the great thing, I think, like, because my brother and I, like, we were raised to almost feel like we had the same abilities as mm-hmm. mediocre white men. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I, like, it was hard for me to think of myself as like, oh, well, I can't do what they can do. Yeah. It was always like, like well, I can have their resources. I can do that shit. Just, that shit. I can do that shit. Yeah. Like, I always yeah. felt that way. Like, even like, I remember like being in middle school, being around like in Lanier, like a bunch of white people who mm. were very affluent. Yeah. And being like, maybe if I had your money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, it always comes down to, when I say that, is um, money or resources. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, access. Access. Resources access. That you yeah. have. Just because our community sure. is so so good at doing so much more with less that's what our entire like being of existence is like predicated on is doing more with less goddamn right have you had soul food like everything from the kitchen (laughs) to like art like doing less like you know you can give a kid in the hood and i mean this is like the most rudimentary example of it i know but you give a kid in the hood a ball and he can make a million dollars out of it yeah yeah like or you can give a grandma like two ingredients and she can make a feast. Yeah. Or like a kid from like nowhere, a paintbrush and like two colors and he can make an entire career. Like it doesn't take a whole lot for us. That yeah. reminds me of the interview I had with uh, Jesse Lott at one of the founders of Project Girl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did a bus tour yeah. and they asked me if for those, I wasn't familiar with his art until the tour, but he takes 
they make sculptures out of like scrap wood, scrap wire. Right. And they're beautiful. Yeah. Um, they've got a couple around the city. Yeah. But they asked, like, what was your driving? He was like, well, I wanted people to know that beautiful things came out of Fifth Ward. And this mm-hmm. was when Fifth Ward was. Right. right when, at, when it wasn't, when he became an artist, it was. When it was bloody nickel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the bloody nickel. <laughs> but he makes beautiful artwork. And that was his. Yeah. You know, he's. I consider his work fine art, but yeah. he's. I. It's literally stuff that I found mm-hmm. on the streets of one of the poorest neighborhoods in the city. Right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. because we can. He's like, I can take what people consider trash and junk and make beautiful artwork out of it. And I was like, huh. Mm-hmm. So then he's like, once he gets like, he hasn't really left that medium because like that's it works and that's where the beauty is. Yeah. It's like, man, could you imagine mm-hmm. if he gave him a million dollar budget mm-hmm. to go create? Yeah. When you have that level yeah. of genius from literally trash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in that same vein, what is um, the most important um, tool that, and this is for both of you, what's the most important tool in your creation process? Like a literal tool? No. No. Well, it doesn't, it literal, figurative, it doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, for me, it's inspiration. Um, like there's nothing that beats that kind of divine inspiration moment because like when it hits you, you can create something that is a masterpiece and like you like it feels like it was overnight and it just comes together and you're like that feels good. Yeah. Like so inspiration is key for me because when I lack in it, like I can really tell like all right, I'm struggling really hard right now because mm-hmm. I don't have anything that's feeding into me. And mm-hmm. so when I get empty, then my work shows. But as long as I stay full of inspiration and like things are inspiring me, then uh and moving me and driving me, then uh, my work is all the more, more better for it. Yeah. Uh, can I copy that answer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I would agree. I think, and then like the practice of, um, I think, stepping just like back for a minute and just having space just to sit and be still. That is where I find inspiration a lot. Whether it's through something I'm reading, something I'm like watching. Um, like books or whatever that might be but yeah at the core of it I think inspiration is like the most important thing because like Chep said if you are completely empty it's hard to be innovative or do something new and so yeah there's if you're feeling that lack of drive I think a lot of time it's a lack of inspiration so going to museum watching like a film yeah flipping through like your books or poetry or whatever it might be yeah. yeah. And and I, I would, I know you said the most, but the second most important thing to me is um, like a really strong community of people that you can like um, bounce ideas off of and also yeah. like talk through things with. Yeah. Because there's a lot of artists who like they create in a silo, which is not always the best idea. Yeah. And so that's really important for me is to have people that you can like, you know, are really good checks and balances. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the, I would say that's the second most important thing. Yeah. We we've actually been talking about that, and we will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. One, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I I feel that though, because like this, uh, like us interviewing people, like to to borrow a term I hear Lanicia use all the time, it's very life giving <laughs> for me, right? Like, so every time I get to sit down with people and ask these questions and hear these answers and think about like the ways in which um, y'all process things, like that helps me think about shit. Mm-hmm. Like it helps me think about my ideas. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, the same as being in a collective, right? But people don't, you know, in this collective, people don't really know that they're in it. 
it's just me talking people and shit but <laughs> no nah, but there's like there's serious power and strength and like a bunch of artists coming together yeah and sharing ideas i mean it's been done forever yeah for like, real. there's real power in that and mm-hmm. like being able to bounce off each other and like feed off of one another yeah like there's something that re- like really special that happens in that yeah moment. Absolutely. Not to get on a tangent, but that's why I just get like so frustrated with people get so like competitive in a sense of like not being able to like there's not enough for everyone when yeah. it comes to the art world. And I was like, man, like just think of if it's like and Lenisi and I talk about this all the time too, but it's like benefiting me, it's benefiting you. So like yeah. we're working in this together and art making can be a really like draining and emotional process. And so it's just like the like feeling of like we're in this together like you're not alone in this and so yeah yeah just like yeah there's enough room for everyone yeah i mean i think about that all the time when i think about like renaissance or post-renaissance artists and renaissance artists as well like when you think about the harlem renaissance and in how many great writers and artists and musicians that birthed at the mm-hmm. same time and mm-hmm. all these people were creating around one another mm-hmm. shit there's more than enough to go around yeah. like <laughs> there's more than enough success to go around right and and ideas and like yeah. you can like really like thrive around other people yeah. it makes your ideas that much better like absolutely um harrison guy told me one thing like in this idea that we we're working Harrison's on dope. yeah really dope like he would he said like because I was struggling because I had an idea and I start seeing other things that were similar come out. And I was like, I don't know if I still want to do it. Yeah. And he was like, nobody else can say or do the thing that you can do the way you can. Uh-huh. It's still worth doing because it won't be yours. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> like a light bulb, yeah. like that is one of the things I'm going to remember forever because no matter how many times you see it, like, and that goes back to the crab in the barrel kind of mentality of artists trying to pull one another down. Yeah. when you do it it's different than when other people do it uh-huh. so you still have to do it yeah and so yeah it's voice really matters yeah like well, having a voice and having an artistic voice and a voice in general like that shit matters it's funny there's a thing that i used to say when i was in middle school and i was doing all these drawings for people like and i literally used to write this on people's shit but it used to be like i ain't me for no reason and like wow i was just being stupid like there's some conceited shit to say like now that i think about it like nah that shit's real like i'm not me for no reason mm-hmm. nobody else can be me nobody else can say the shit that i say the way that i say it that's whether it's my outlandish shit or whether it's <laughs> i'm gonna tell you it's one of my favorite lines from i know it's a super cheesy ass movie but i robot <laughs> yeah have you seen i robot i have seen i robot <laughs> okay I know you just like you like bad movies, and it's not necessarily a bad movie, but it's cheesy as shit. It's yeah. cheesy, but but when yeah. like he reaches his hand like and gets the nanobots, and he was like, "My maker gave me like a stronger exoskeleton for a reason. Like I was created yeah. essentially for this moment." Yeah. I was like, "Is that when the, I was like, the, preach, the feelings, yeah, yeah. like that is that is give yourself permission, yeah. same shit, like we, yeah, yeah. So, what, is, what is that for? So." We talked to Rebea Bain, who is now my uh, mentor and my wife's best friend. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And she was talking about how um, she's always worked between different media. And she never really thought of it as being interdisciplinary. And people would be like, why don't you just focus on one thing and get really good at that? And she was saying that she had to give herself permission Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. to do these things she had to give herself permission to make the work that she wanted to make in the ways that mm-hmm. it was important for it to be made in her mind right so like 
when she told us that, I was like, shit. That's so good. Yeah. Like, and, like, you gotta give yourself permission. Right now. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it, it seems so simple, but so profound. But you get so like hung up into what you're doing and that you're like and I feel that way sometimes. I'm like, oh like this is like the trajectory like I've created for myself and this is what people know me, like they know this brand yeah. and so like it feels scary to like branch outside of that but i think so much of it is less about other people who are like watching you it's more like that inside of like giving yep. yourself that permission to be like it's okay you can do other things and so yeah, they'll be okay that's a good word they'll, yeah. they'll be perfectly fine yeah and i think so much <laughs> of the time they just want to support and they just believe in you yeah. as a person as an artist yeah. so they're along for the journey yeah. and so yeah. And it, it might not catch on like wildfire at first. Like, and that's, you know, for me, as we trek along with our podcast, like that's kind of one of those things. Like mm -hmm. it starts with a few, mm -hmm. right? Like you can't get to, you can't all of a sudden be it. Oh, we got 10 million listens. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it, it doesn't happen. That oh, way. but when we get there, they'll have a lot of great content. To oh yeah. We, we've been fucking yeah. killing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I must say that we've been fucking killing it. Yes. I, I agree. So. We, shit, we talked about that all the time, but yeah. no, really like it starts with a few, right? Yeah. Like we might knock. Oh, well, mom, you know, ain't nobody listening to this shit but my mama. Yeah, but your mama got friends. Mm -hmm. They got friends. My mom doesn't have any friends, but she does listen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, and, and I think that's very important to Just remember, kidding, right? Like, give <laughs> <laughs> give yourselves that permission boy about that i was like oh like just kidding i was like oh that's, that's cuz your mom will beat you up yeah. mark knows my mom she's going to be like oh that was funny yeah. she's like, shout out she's yeah. Like, yeah basically yeah. basically so um i have one last question i don't think you thought that was the last question it, it, that's the last question i do this shit all the time it's okay it's fine. Right. so it's a heavy question, but I think it's a good question. What is it with you and this heavy question? Calm down. It's the same heavy question we always use. Calm down. Relax. Don't wait until the 12th hour. Stop throwing haymakers. Yeah. Listen, this is it. What is the legacy that you two want to leave individually or collectively? And I will say, with I purposely. To your art. Yes. With, or, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, art is life. Life is art. Same shit, right? Yeah. I mean, and I think collectively um, we're defined by the art we create and we both recognize that we're both artists, yeah. which is why it's so important. Like everything in our house kind of points to that. Like this was at our wedding. It was a song. And it's like, you're an artist. Your heart is a masterpiece and I'll keep it safe because that was our promise to one another yeah. um, as artists. So part of our legacy is like directly related to that regardless. Um, yeah. But I don't know if you have, you have an answer kind of on deck already. You want to fill well, in? Um, I think collectively, I think it would just be to, I mean, one, one thing that we, we talked about when we got together and as we continued our relationship is like just that ongoing support of whatever that means and creating and being an artist yeah. and not being like stifling that. And so allowing it to grow naturally in whatever way that looks like and being supportive of that. And I think as we've grown in our relationship, we've seen to just like, um, like the legacy as far as like, um, creating good work and also being supportive in the artist community, like supporting by purchasing work, supporting by, um, like whatever ways we can, as we grow in our own work, like mentoring others or like supporting others. And, and so showing up when it's important. Sh yeah, showing yeah. up, supporting and that's something I think we both want to continue to do as our careers continue. Yeah. And then I think 
yeah, just individually as well. I always want to be the type of artist that's approachable. I think that's so important for me. It's like I've met artists before that I've really admired. And then when I actually have a conversation with them, it's like, oh, man, this is disappointing because you're actually really, like, rude. <laughs> and, like, yeah. I just think I'm, like, just not approachable and not able or willing to, like, share in the journey. And I think for me personally, and that's huge, I always want to be able to be like, yeah, like, again, there's room for everyone. What can I share with you? How can I help? How can I support? And being willing to have that conversation with anybody at any point in their career. Um, and then just, yeah, making work that I'm really proud of, work that I stand by, and then um, just, like, always continuing to, like, learn and push myself in that way. I think that's kind of – and, like, if we're – if and we're able to have kids one day, like, kind of, yeah, teaching them that way of, like, appreciating art and, like, valuing artists over mass production of things. So just, like, and keeping our home in that way, too, being able to have that space for that. Um, I completely agree with everything she said collectively, so I'll just talk about myself. Um, <laughs> I think the legacy that I would love to leave as an artist um, has a lot to do with creating work that I believe in and I stand by, um, that uplifts my community and um, tells stories that need to be told. And then, like she said, also supporting other artists along the way. Yeah. Um, Unlike some uh, who kind of carry the baton way too long, also knowing when it's time to pass it off to the next, yeah, you know, when you just, you yeah. should take a backseat at this point, bro. Like, you should sit down. Yeah. Um, so you're saying not being Eminem? No, I'm saying more specifically <laughs> not being, like... No, say it, please. You know I love this shit. Yeah, not being Spike Lee on like mm. the the new, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, cause I feel like if he had taken a backseat, like, and let young creatives, um, there would be elements of the show that would be so much better. Cause the parts that people oh, are like always, when she's got to have it, the parts that people are always <laughs> caught up on, like, why did that happen? Is the parts. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. I know that was you. Like nobody <laughs> checking yeah. for those parts no more. But yeah. knowing when to pass the baton on, I think yeah. it's part of like um, the legacy I want to leave. And um, it's a little dark of a question because I feel like there's a lot of like death associated with it. Like when you're dead, like what do you want your eulogy to be? <laughs> but I think so. Legacy always, is, instead of the when you're dead, it's yeah. when you're in the art history books. That is what we go. With. Still dead. But um, I mean, for me, your legacy can be yeah, even. Like, it can be a living legacy living, for sure. Because yeah. you could be post career yeah. and just doing something totally different, but yeah. people know you by this, this, and this. Yeah. Because yeah. think about it. Like while Maya Angelou was alive, bro. Like mm -hmm. no, I get it. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying. Absolute I, living legends. So. I'm thinking about it in terms of like, okay, when I turn into like an old cantankerous old man like <laughs> so when i'm exactly. so when, so when exactly. i'm quincy jones like yeah. at this point in his career um <laughs> say what he's wild. I, I love i love the idea of what he is and i love the idea that the next one's gonna be sean combs like he's yeah, gonna be the next absolutely old cantankerous I was, yeah, man yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah like when i'm in that place i guess this is how i'm phrasing it i want to be able to pass the baton on to those who all right cool yeah. you take from here yeah. Um, and give other people an opportunity in the shot. Yeah. And that's interesting that she said um, Puffy, because I think people forget how much he contributed to the world of hip hop because of the commercial. 
poppy shit that he's done. Oh too. yeah, I'm, I've you know always been a huge fan of his. Like huge fan. Yeah. Like like yeah. low key like one of my like people I really look up to in like how he moved in the world. Yeah. And what he was able to create, what what he had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everything he's done, but yeah, the good shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, this we been a great interview. Absolutely, I, I yeah, yeah, I, I've I've enjoyed this. Thanks for um, asking us. Oh, no problem. I mean, you know, usually Chap and I talk shit. Um, I mean, we talk business and stuff too, but we do a lot of shit talking. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> but so this is this is a, a an interesting change of pace. All the episodes, you notice that Mark says that about everyone. Oh, I talk because I talk shit. That like that's just, <laughs> I talk just shit. Mark, I talk I shit. Just Mark. I, I, re- talk shit. I realized that on our Galveston trip, <laughs> like never before until that moment. Yeah. Mark yes, talks I think. Shit to me. Yeah, He's very mean to me. I think all of like me and Abby's interactions before that trip were just very. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Good. All right, but cool. that one got real, yeah. real fast. Yeah, like, <laughs> it was I, good. Oh, this is who you are. I can't hide that shit for too this, long. Like, this I is talk- who Chaps has been talking about. But you know what? I'm honest. Well, my <laughs> brother-in-law just gonna say my brother-in-law is the same way. He's like, it's, I wouldn't like pick on you if I didn't care. Like, it's just that kind of thing. Renee like, tells me the same thing about March. Yeah, it's because he cares. It's, it would yeah. be a waste of time. Yeah. Exactly. And, I, you know. I consider it. I'm like, all right, cool. No, that's good. It's a good thing. There we go. Exactly. The moral of the story is everyone loves Mark. It. So um, that's not the moral of the story. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, we sincerely appreciate the both of you agreeing to do this. Um, we appreciate y'all letting us into your beautiful home. It looks amazing. It is gorgeous. Um, and it's in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it the kitchen has a separate nostalgia, a separate look, separate aesthetic, right? <laughs> Lives in its months. own place. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that's fine. You're transported when you cross that place in time. <laughs> Shut up. No, I ain't gonna lie, that's a 70. But it's yeah. beautiful. Hey, I still know. like it. No, cool. I think it's nice. No. It has a charm. Yeah, all that. It looks like a tiny house. Cool. Like it has a tiny house Mark, aesthetic. Stop. Did you see the what? mushroom like handles? Let me tell you, this man right here didn't know that there were mushroom handles until like a few months ago. And I was so excited. He's like, we have mushroom handles? Yes. Yeah, those are mushrooms. So 70s. Oh, they're right. actual. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking shape. I was like, oh, no, I they're actual mushrooms. They're, no, no, they're painted mushrooms, mushrooms painted. The, okay. Yeah. I think I want to put that on Instagram. But no. Um, <laughs> again, we appreciate y'all um, and we appreciate our wonderful listeners. Um, and on behalf of Raquel Simone and myself, Mark Francis, thank you for listening and peace. I'm about to ask Abby if I can buy something.